numbers kept growing for free blacks in America and being the most, always the most in the South, which is considered the most racist. This is, this is interesting. The South was losing the representation. The plan that our founders put in place was working. Prescribed truth, we're giving you what the doctor ordered. Jamal Bandy, apologist, the Lord's servant. We undeserve it, but Christ changed our mind frame. In a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. All right, what's going on, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy. Welcome back to Prescribed Truth, or Prescribing Truth. I'm your host. Um, I'm the one who seeks to distribute the truth that the doc describes to the church and the world today. This is episode 57. Oh, man. First off, before we get into anything, man, I got a new patron, y'all. Man, Theology Gals, thank you so much for your contribution to Prescribing Truth and joining me on Patreon. Uh, man, if you haven't heard of Theology Gals, you got to check them out on your podcast apps. I'm going to the website, theologygals.com. Uh, it's the hosts are Colleen Sharp, Ashley Glassick, and Angela Whitehorn. Man, these ladies are off the chain. I've listened to a few of their podcasts. One uh, specifically that I really enjoyed was the one on sensationism uh, because I, I've come out of, uh, uh, well, you know, we call continuationist, uh, continuationism, um, but, you know, my background is very charismatic. And so hearing that perspective with sensationism was very helpful and good. It was always good to continue to hear truth in that area. And I just really appreciate their adhering to scripture. So I would encourage you to check them out as well. Uh, so with that being said, if you like to support prescribing, uh, prescribed truth, please do so by joining me on Patreon. For only a dollar a month, you receive access to patron-only content, receive discounts on merchandise, take part in the Discord, um, and more, the Discord after show and more. Those who sign on at the $5 tier will receive a prescribed truth mug. Thank you in advance for your support. Join today at www.patreon.com forward slash prescribed truth. little tongue-tied here, I see. All right. So, man, that's a, that's a lot I want to get into today, y'all. So I want to go ahead and head some things off. So um, what's always been said concerning our country, as you see in the title, this is Misconceptions of Early America. Um, it's always been said about a country that was founded on racism. Uh, it began with racism and all that kind of stuff like that. And it's, that's why it's, this issue with whiteness, so to speak, is such a big issue right now. Because everything that white people did just happened to be rooted in racism and plunder and everything else. It just couldn't be anything else. It, it can't be that people actually operated in sin. It has to be that it's because they're only white, you know, and they just they saw themselves as just being super powerful. And though this may be true for a lot of people during this time, or case may be, um, it certainly wasn't true concerning our founding fathers and i you know and so um i want to be able to show that um this resource that i'm using today comes from wallbuilders.com um and it's a it's a fantastic source i have it linked in the description you guys please check it out i mean they have, they have a section um solely for black history and they, i mean they have documents and everything else man i would encourage you to check it out um i won't be pulling the actual source up on the stream uh, for you guys who are watching I'm just going to read some things to you guys. And so um, hopefully this will be helpful. Um, but yeah, the links are there for you to check out. Um, I was amazed at, as I was doing a study, as I was uh, doing the research, amazed at the things I was finding, um, how the narrative that is being painted concerning our forefathers and everything else is just was crumbling. I mean, the, the arguments crumbling down because the evidence 
does not line up. And though this is something I've always known, already known, it just was made it more clear, made it more clear. And so we want to look at some things. Now, I want to ask the question, the, the founding fathers, were they actually were they actually for slavery? Like, were they really, really wanting slavery? Like when they looked at black people, did they see them as less than human? You know, our founding fathers or were they actually opposed to slavery? That's a good question to ask because, see, the narrative is that they, they all wanted slaves. Like, you know, this is what America wanted. You know, it was founded on slavery. It was founded on the backs of slaves. And therefore, that's you know, where it was. But was this the intention of the forefathers? You know, is this, is this what they wanted or the founding fathers? You know, so I want to deal with that. And then the next question I want to ask is, well, something I asked myself when I was doing the research was, you know, why couldn't they end it? Like, why couldn't they put an end to it sooner than when it did? Uh, slavery would end in America in 1865. So why did it take so long? You know, I mean, the Declaration of Independence, 1776, you know, so why so long before it was actually over with for slavery? And so, um, yeah, we want, we want to look at that, too. So but first, I want to read some quotes and read some quotes from some founding fathers. OK, and this is interesting. So we have a man named Henry Lawrence. He was a former president of the Continental Congress, American merchant and a slave trader. Now, this is interesting. He was a slave trader. But look at what he said. This is a quote from him. He says, I abhor slavery. Now, right there, I'm thinking of like, okay, so there may be people who participated in slavery, the slave trade and so on and so forth. But if he, if he abhorred slavery, then why was he a slave trader? I mean, that was a question I asked myself. And I'm pretty sure some of you guys who are listening to this is asking the same question. Like if you say you abhor slavery, then why were you a slave trader? You know, hmm, that's an interesting question. I think we should hold on to that for a second. He, but he says, he said, I abhor slavery. I was born in a country where slavery had been established by British kings and parliaments, as well as by the laws of the country, uh, of the country ages before my existence. So he was from Britain. Now, this is interesting. This is a very important fact that he was from Britain. This is where he was born and he was born in Britain. All right. No, no, not born in Britain. I'm sorry. He was born. Whereas, um, in a country where slavery had been established by British kings. So he probably was born in America, but Britain still had control. And that's the important thing. Britain still had control, even for the, uh, for the colonies. Um, and so he says, in former days, there was no combating the prejudices of men supported by interests. The day, I hope, is approaching when, from principles of gratitude as well as justice, Every man will strive to be foremost in showing his readiness to comply with the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Matthew 7, 12. That was his quote. Appealing to scripture. And so you see that he held to a Christian worldview. Now, whether he was truly a Christian or not, I don't know. But he held to a Christian standard. You know, we know how our country was founded on Christian principles, right? And people say, well, how can that be? Because they had slaves. And all those things. Remember, I asked this question a few weeks ago. I'm going to ask it again. It's owning slaves in and of itself, would it be considered a sin, a transgression against God's law? You know, yes, we can all get into how they acquired their slaves. We can ask those questions, right? But the overall thing is, was it a sin? And so here we have somebody who's a slave trader. This was his, that was one of his professions before all the other things. He was a slave trader, but then he said he abhorred it. 
but it was the common thing of the time. And this was established by British kings and parliaments. This was the net, this was the common rule, you know, but his heart was that, man, I don't want, I, one day, I hope that day will come where everybody don't, won't have this. Like we won't have this, but he was recognizing that it won't be in his time. He already had a feeling this would not be in his time. Another person I want to read John Jay. Now he was interesting. You know, John Jay was interesting. He was a founding father, a, a politician in New York. And he says, prior to the great revolution, the great majority of our people had been so long accustomed to the practice and convenience of having slaves that very few among them even doubted the proprietary and, rec um, and rectitude of it. So they didn't, they didn't contemplate the consequences, any of those things. It just, so it was just a common thing. It wasn't that they had hate in their heart for the slaves or they saw them. Not everybody. Like I said, you could have those who did think less of slaves and so on and so forth, but it wasn't everybody. It wasn't a common thing. The, the most, the common thing was that, Hey, this is, a, this was accustomed to us. Like we're used to having slaves. We, they come from Britain and slavery been around long before the slave trade. So when you had slaves, um, in Spain, uh, you had, uh, uh, the Portuguese and all this, everybody else, they, everybody's owning slaves at this time. Slavery existed way before America even was thought of, you know what I'm saying? So it was a common thing, you know? And so he's saying that, Hey, you know, this is, this is out of convenience. Like this wasn't that they, uh, had evil in their heart, evil intentions towards them. It's just, that it was convenience. And it brings me back to what was, excuse me, when we was looking at George Whitfield, how he was from Britain, he wasn't from America, you know, he traveled back and forth. Uh, and even so, that time was before the revolution. So matter of fact, George, George Whitfield was doing what he was doing prior to America even receiving her independence. And so that, and that was an interesting, that's an interesting fact. But in that, George Whitfield um, only wanted slaves in Georgia for the orphanage that he was building, though that he built and took, you know, and um, for that he built for um, black orphans, black children. This this orphanage that he built wasn't for colonists, like you know, like you know, white people, if you will. He built it for orphaned black children, and that's interesting. And then the the the, the praise that he received from his slaves because of how well he treated them. So we know by evidence of that and what we're reading here that it wasn't that these people were just automatically racist, that they just saw themselves as being superior in a sense to slavery. It's just a common thing. You know, and a lot of time at this time, there were blacks, and I, I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but just to give you some context of what we're getting to today, during this time, there were blacks who were buying their own freedom, you know, and owning slaves themselves. You, oh, hold on, wait a minute. Hold on, <laughs> before you jump through the screen. Yes, there were blacks who owned slaves themselves, you know, and, and, and some slaves, they uh, worked for a certain amount of years and their masters let them free. I mean, this was going on during this time. And what we hear in the media, what we hear in the narrative, that everybody's being beaten, everybody's being tortured, everybody's being separated from their families, all these things. This is all we're hearing from the narrative. But when we look at the evidence, and it's like, man, that really wasn't the case for everyone. That wasn't the case. And you could say the majority, but I wouldn't even go to, I wouldn't even say it was the majority. You think about it. And I'm going to show you this. No, I'm going to read this fact and I'm going to show you something else. So uh, John Jay, I thought it was interesting. There's a fun fact concerning John Jay that he believed in the Christian gospel. So he said, but not uh, he said, but this is pulled from Wikipedia concerning him. 
It says that he believed the Christian gospel and he had made a practice of buying slaves and freeing them as adults. So there was a certain amount of time. So he would buy them at young, you know, and he would use them and then he would free them as adults after he judged their labors had been a reasonable return on their price. In 1798, he still owned eight slaves the year before the Emancipation Act was passed. That's 1990, I mean, not 19, 1798, where he still owned slaves. And that's, that's going to be interesting too. And he owned eight slaves. All right, so that was interesting. So he bought them and then for the, for the purpose, he made a practice of doing it, buying them and then freeing them as adults. So they wasn't slaves forever. Freedom as adults. All right, I thought it was a fun fact. Now, something interesting I want to bring up to you guys. Now, there's 13 colonies during this time. 13, not 50 states, 13 colonies. Now, how many of those colonies do you think were actually pushing strongly for the continuing of slavery at the time of the Declaration of Independence? Because that's where it came down to. Because really, the, the reality is that the, four, the founding fathers wanted to end slavery way before the Declaration of Independence. They wanted slavery to end, but Britain would not let them. It wasn't the colonies. It wasn't their fault. It would have been ended. But British control said, no, we're making too much money. This is profitable. No, we're not going to allow you to stop having slaves or stop doing, um, participating in the slave trade. So it continued. So this was on Britain. This wasn't the colonies. So really, to the, the say that, hey, this soil, this, this America began be, with people being racist, wanting to subjugate and all those things, is, is already beginning to look very false. But on top of that, you got 13 colonies. How many of those colonies were actually for, strongly for slavery? You got Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. Four colonies. Now, all of those colonies, except for two, all of those colonies, except for two, actually owned slaves. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look um, at the colonies that didn't. We're going to look at that later on. Just stay tuned. But there were two colonies out of all of those who didn't own slaves at all. But only four, only four of 13 colonies were strongly for it. Everybody else was kind of, hey, whether, whether they stay or don't, or they, whether they're slaves or not, you know, hey, it don't matter to us. Set them free. We're okay with that. But there were four colonies that said, no, we need to have them continue to be slaves for their labor. We need that. So I think about it. Well, we're always told that our country was founded on racism, on people hating blacks, wanting them to be subjugated. When only four out of 13 colonies, four representatives, I say four, I mean four representatives out of, out of each representative of each colony, only four were saying, hey, no, we got to have these slaves here. So that doesn't mean every single person in Georgia, that doesn't mean every single person in South Carolina and North Carolina and Virginia was for the continuance of slavery, but the representatives of those colonies, four representatives of those colonies, whoever represented them, they were strongly pushing for the continuance of slavery. That's a minority compared to the majority view of wanting to free them. Who would have thought out of everything we've been hearing, it tells us that these people wanted to continue slavery. These people just got to have slaves. They, you know, they don't care. They don't care about black people. They hate black people, so on and so forth. And also during this time before the revolution, there were slaves who were free. There were slaves being freed holding offices. We're going to get into that, y'all. Y'all stick around. Before, before the Declaration of Independence, there were blacks who were holding offices, holding offices. 
able to start churches, plant churches, everything, and receive support from white people. Y'all, this is what was going on prior to the Declaration of Independence and even afterwards. Like the narrative that we're being fed that, hey, and I'm not talking about this. This is not just, okay, you talk about with blacks in the North and so on and so forth. Well, how do you think that blacks in the South are getting free? Like, matter of fact, we're going to read one who is actually will be considered one in the South and who will be set free. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, man, like, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting the narrative that's being painted concerning this. And I'm thankful that I'm thankful that now we're dealing with this and, and I'm seeing these things and being able to draw some light. And I know there are going to be people who disagree who, but my thing is, why would you disagree with the facts? Like, why would you disagree with the information? I mean, you may deal agree, disagree with my opinion or so on and so forth, but why disagree with the facts? As a matter of fact, I think it's freeing. I think it's freeing because as we look at this and we think about the sovereignty of God, we think about all of this that's going on in history and God's part in all of it. I mean, come on now, we, if, especially those of us who are Christians, like we should be looking at it from that kind of lens, you know, but we're, you know, we're human. We're going to look at it from our emotions. We're going to, we're going to draw conclusions from our emotions. And, you know, that's natural. But see, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel because it, it causes something in us that's supernatural. It causes us to see things that not how the world sees it, but how God himself intended it for it to be. And so, yeah. I mean, I, I just think this is amazing, you know? Um, and I, I mean, there were quotes from Thomas Jefferson. I mean, I've heard plenty of stories about Thomas Jefferson being for uh, slavery and wanting to subjugate blacks and so on and so forth. But Thomas Jefferson was opposed to it. The link is in the description, you guys. I, I put it there purposely so you can look at it yourself. So I want to read everything to you. You can go and pull that link up and you can check it out. I mean, Thomas Jefferson's against it. Benjamin Franklin was against it. I mean, there were other guys. John Adams was against it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, they talk about how evil it was. ABC, they would agree with you how evil, how evil it was. Yet the narrative is that the founding fathers, you know, you know this, this, they, they founded this country on racism. You know, their whole thing was that they want to subjugate blacks and they succeeded with that. You know, I want to take the time to dispel that myth, you know, with the information, with the information. You know, so I'm, I'm hoping that's helpful. All right. So uh, with that, real quick, we're going to shift gears. As a Christian, one of the main things we should be doing is evangelizing. Our Lord said to go, therefore, and make disciples. And sometimes we can't wait for them to come to us. One way in which I like to engage others is with gospel tracts. They are great for starting a conversation. Even though sometimes you may not have the time, there's no need to fear because every gospel track has the gospel message laid out beautifully. So you can be assured that if they take the time to read them, they will have received the gospel message. Where do I get my gospel tracks from? I'm glad you asked. I get mine from Track Planet. They offer a wide variety of gospel tracks, even for different seasons of the year at an extremely affordable price. I've used them at work just by sitting them on my counter, watching people pick them up and begin to ask me questions about the message they contain. If you'd like to check out some of these amazing tracks to use in evangelizing, please visit the website that I have linked below. The website is prescribedtruth.com forward slash track planet. Thank you so much. And just to, for you guys to know, um, I am not an affiliate of, of Track Planet, but I love their tracks. I honestly do. Um, this is something I do for my patrons. Uh, every month for those of $5 and up patrons, I purchase uh, tra gospel tracks or some that I have. And I just, hey, I, I send them to them every month. 
You know, um, matter of fact, I got to send something out this month. And I think I got to make up for something last month. <laughs> but man, I love Track Planet. So guys, check them out. Check them out. So we talked, we talked a little bit about how some of the founding fathers felt, a couple of them anyway. And like I said, you can look at the link and you can see um, who, all, who, who else uh, had a problem with slavery and wanted, wanted it to end. But like I was telling you, that Britain didn't want them to end slavery. They wanted to continue the slave trade because it was profitable. All right. Now, I want to talk about briefly, and I say briefly, what happened post-revolution. So now we have the Revolutionary War. And you have Britain losing control, and now America has this has her independence. Now, what happened? Now, in this, we're just talking about just dealing with slavery. You know, what's doing? What's dealing with the blacks? All right, what's going on with them? Now, during this time, as remember, there are representatives of the colonies who are against slavery, and there are a heap of slaves in the South. I mean, you saw the map, what Georgia looked like back then. And even then, there was a lot of slaves. I think it was like 30,000 slaves around that time, I think. And, um, and you had uh, plenty of slaves in Virginia, plenty of slaves in South Carolina and North Carolina. I mean, they had a lot of them. So, I mean, if, you, if we're talking about uh, how America would function as far as voting and everything else, you know, you have a popular vote that would be involved, you know, and that would determine the amount of representation that would be involved in Congress. Uh, and so because there were so much, there were so many slaves in these states, the, the South would have more power, more, more representation in the, um, in the Congress. That makes sense. And so what they did, and I've heard this all the time concerning the three-fifths compromise. I'm finna go here. I've heard this all the time concerning the three-fifths compromise that they viewed black people as less than human. Because of this, because of this that was put in place, this compromise, this clause, because it was put in place, this showed how they view blacks as being less than human. But may I offer to you something different, something different, all right? That maybe, just maybe, that the three-fifths compromise was actually something that was put in place that would end up helping blacks in the end. Now I know, I know some of you's like, wait a minute, Jamal, I ain't going there. I'm not going there with you. Okay, I feel you, I feel you. But let's look at something. It says, while much progress was made by the founders to end the institution of slavery. Now, like, check this out, this sentence right here. While much progress was made by the founders to end the institution of slavery, Unfortunately, what they began was not fully realized or achieved until generations later. So the founders actually wanted to end slavery. Hmm. Now, real quick, before I go any further, this, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to change subjects here, but this kind of entails what I'm trying to say about the founders. Richard Allen, which I know a lot of people give praise because he was the founder of the first AME church in Pennsylvania. He was one who converted his master to Christianity. 
And I thought it was interesting because people always say how, oh, uh, Christianity is a white man's religion because they wouldn't even know Christianity if it wasn't for the white man driving it into them and trying to force them. But actually, it's the opposite is true. Like you saw, you saw there were times where blacks converted their masters. And matter of fact, a lot of masters prevented their slaves from hearing the true gospel, prevented their slaves from reading the Bible because they know the truth it contains. And so it's, it's interesting how people say that white people were trying to force feed Christianity into blacks when really they were trying to actually take it away from them. <laughs> they were trying to take the Bible away from them. They didn't want them to know the truth of their salvation, to know Christ. That, that's, that's interesting. Now, so um, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Now, so while much progress was made by the founders to end the institution of slavery, unfortunately, what they began was not fully achieved until generations later. Yet, despite the strenuous efforts of many founders to recognize and practice that all men are created equal. Mm. So people tried to say that the founders, when well, they put in the declaration that all men are created equal, but they didn't treat all men equal. So do you see the intention of their hearts was that they wanted to treat all men as equal. Their intention was always that they knew that these blacks were men. They were human beings, you know, and they want to treat all men as equal. That, that's what their intentions were. And it said charges persist to the opposite. In fact, revisionists even claim that the Constitution demonstrates that the founders considered one who was black to be only three fifths of a person. This charge is yet another falsehood. Yet another falsehood. The three fifths clause was not a measurement of human worth. Rather, it was an anti-slavery provision. What? Huh? That ain't what that ain't what all these these woke folks is telling me. That ain't what these woke folks are saying. These woke folks are saying that no, we always been 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 held down by by whiteness. You know what I'm saying? But no, they're saying that this was put in place as an anti-slavery provision to limit the political power of slavery's proponents. That means so those who agree with slavery, those four colonies I told you who had all these slaves, they had thousands. I think one, one, one colony had uh, over 100,000 slaves. So they had all this representation. They had all this, this representation for their state. You know, and so um, they wanted to limit that power. They wanted to limit them. And I'm going to show y'all something, man. I hope it blesses you. I'm going to show y'all something. He said, what you going to show me? I'm going to show you. <laughs> he says they wanted, so it was, it was an anti-slavery provision to limit the political power of slavery's proponents by including only three-fifths of the total number of slaves in the congressional calculations, Southern states were actually being denied additional pro-slavery representation in Congress. That's what happened. That's what happened. They were being denied additional power, additional representation for their pro-slavery pro agenda in Congress. Y'all, this is going to show, this, this is going to show and prove that, man, these, these founders, they, they couldn't fix something immediate, but they gave it a slow death blow, a slow death blow. So the question I asked earlier, if they were against it, then why couldn't they have ended it? Why not have said when we got our independence that we're going to stop? 
Well, because they didn't want America was not to be a dictatorship and it wasn't going to be ran like Britain was. And so this is how they did it. They had to come together. They chose this way of going about government, you know, so everything, how, how voting, on, how voting on things happen and so on and so forth, the checks and balances that go in for, they go forth, how it started then, like all that had to be in place. So not one person is ruling everything. All right. So, and this is what they had to do. So, okay, well, y'all going to have slaves. You want to continue to have slaves. Okay. Well, for every five slaves you have, only three of them is going to count towards the vote or towards your population for representation in Congress. All right. Now, um, it's interesting fact is that prior to the revolution, um, blacks were able to vote and so on and so forth, free blacks and so on and so forth were able to vote. So that's an interesting fact. But here they're saying they're only for every five they have, only three of them are going to count for the representation. So it's not saying they were less than human or less than a person. It's just talking about their representation for Congress. So that's interesting. So it says, based on the clear records of the Constitutional Convention, two prominent professors explains the meaning of the three-fifths clause. It was slavery's opponents, this point I want to read. It was slavery's opponents who succeeded in restricting the political power of the South by allowing them to count only three-fifths of their slave population in determining the number of congressional representatives. The three-fifths of a vote provision uh, applied only to slaves, not to free blacks in either the North or the South. So there were free blacks in the North and in the South, not only the North. Like people always think that there were free blacks in the North, but no, there were free blacks in the South and free blacks in the South who owned slaves as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So that didn't apply to free blacks. Now that's important. Y'all that's important. That did not apply to free blacks only to slaves. So check this out. How much time I got left here? I got five minutes left. Okay, cool. I want to show this to you guys. Check this out. Please check this out with me. And I'm hoping you following this. So in 1790, that was the first census. I hope you guys are seeing that. 1790 was the first census for the new America. All right. Still 13 colonies, 13 states, if you will. You know, so there's not, this is not a 50 states. This is only still 13 states. All right. At this time of their first census, Maine and Massachusetts, were the only two colonies that had no slaves, none. Now you got, um, and matter of fact, I think I want to say it was Massachusetts, honestly, that I actually read about that they were so against it that when, um, that when people tried to bring slaves there, they got the slaves and they, they bought their, they bought them, set them free and then took them back to Africa. And I want to, oh, oh man, I want to say it was Massachusetts, but it's one of those Northern states. That, that, that's what they did. They were so opposed to it that they actually bought them and they set them free and sent them back to Africa, you know, sent them back to their homeland. And so that's what they did. And they were Christians. You know, these, these were Christians who did that. Now, Virginia had almost 300,000 slaves. 300,000 slaves. Maryland had 100,000 slaves, a little over 100,000. Um, North Carolina, 100,000. South Carolina, over 100,000. Georgia had uh, almost 30,000 as of 1790. All right. So look at the representation that they would have had when it comes to, when it comes to population. I mean, they would have, they would have ranked higher. But because of the three-fifths clause, that cut back their representation. What significance is that? Y'all, check this out, man. This, this right here was the bomb. Like, when I pulled this up, man, 
I was like, what? Free African-American population in the U.S., 1790 to 1860. Now, keep in mind, slavery would be ended, would completely be ended in, in America in 1865, five years later than what this stat shows. Let's keep that in mind. But these are free African-Americans. Remember, their vote, their, their popular vote would matter during this time. It would matter. It would count. All right. It wouldn't count when there were slaves. I mean, well, not, you know, five, uh, you know, three out of five would count. But as a, as a free man, all their votes counted. Here in 1790, the total, the total of free blacks was 27,000 in the north, 32,000 in the south. In 1800, 10 years later, 46,000 in the north, 51,000, was it 51? No, 61,000 in the South. I can't see. <laughs> 61,000 in the South. In 1810, 10 years later, 77,000 in the North, 97,000 in the South. How is it in the South where slaves are at the most having more free slaves than in the North? Now, I thought that was amazing by itself because I figured that the North would have more free slaves or not free slaves, more free blacks than the, than the South would. But the South always had more free blacks. Hmm. Interesting. And it kept growing. Every 10 years, this number is growing. And what is happening? Every 10 years, the South is losing representation, losing representation year, year after year after year. Every 10 years, we're seeing the impact of it. In 1820, 99,000 in the North, 130,000 in the South. 1830. 137,000 in the north, 175,000 in the south. Let's go on, let's go on, skip on to 1860. In the 1860, the number of free blacks in the north was 225,961. The south was 250,787. The numbers kept growing for free blacks in America and being the most, always the most in the south, which is considered the most racist. This is, this is interesting. The South was losing the representation. The plan that our founders put in place was working. It was working. I mean, they, they, they would love to have done it immediately, but because of how they was doing it, how they set everything in place for government, they dealt it a slow death blow. Did it take many years? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 plus years before their, what they wanted would be realized, but it happened and they put it in place. They put it in place. I mean, do they get some kind of credit here? I mean, do they get an A for effort or something? I mean, wow. I mean, come on now. That's, that's interesting, y'all. So there were blacks who held offices. They planted churches all through the 18th century. And that's in the 1700s. And so, and that's, and so we got um, Wentworth Cheswell. This, this was a black man. Uh, he, he held office. He had a prominent office, not just any kind of office. Yeah, George Lyle. And then the Reverend Andrew Bryan. These, these men, these black men, they, some of them held offices. They were free, free blacks who were Christian and planted churches. And, and important people. You know, and so, and oh, and ex-slaves, 
ex-slaves. So, I mean, it was very interesting, man. Very interesting. And real quick, I want to just, just say, there were, I mentioned earlier how there were blacks who owned slaves uh, after the revolution. And I was thinking, well, yeah, of course, blacks owned slaves before the revolution. But even after the revolution, blacks owned slaves. You know, they own slaves and you, and some of them, some of them own slaves. They, they, they purchased their family members in order not to be split up in order to be kept together. Right. Which is a good thing, you know? So therefore, if that's a good thing, then purchasing a slave can't be sin. Mm. They purchased their family members. They bought slave, they bought a slave and they bought their family. So they would for the purpose of not being shipped away. But once again, if we argue on the side of consistency, if we say that it's a sin, to purchase a slave, period, or then they actually sin against their family for purchasing them. You know, even though they just wanted them to stay with them, they sinned for purchasing their family. But we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say the black man was, was sinning for purchasing his wife and his sister or his children. He, they wouldn't, nobody would say that. But unless you're going to suffer at the sin of partiality, you're going to have to say that. Unless you can reason and say, you know what? It may not have been actually a sin to purchase slaves. It may not have been, you know, it may not have been maybe something that we got away from. And it's a good thing that we got away from it, but it wasn't necessarily a sin if we're being fair with the information. And now there were blacks who purchased slaves and treated them unfairly, beat them after the revolution, not before we're talking about free blacks who own slaves and tortured, beat them. And so it was a black, it was a black slave woman. I mean, not black slave woman, <laughs> a black woman who owned slaves and a lot of them. And she was harsh towards her slaves. Harsh. The website I put in the description, the root.com, they give this information. They give the names and the dates and stuff like that. I would encourage you to check this out. Check it out. Check it out, y'all. You know, as a matter of fact, what I'm going to do, I'm not going to show it on the screen, but I'm going to read a couple um, parts from it for you guys. I'll do that because, man, like, this, it, this, was an inter this, this was interesting information. This goes completely against the narrative that we've been sold. And so I'm, I'm really convinced that concerning history, black history in America, in this sense, we've been sold a bill of goods. We've been sold a bunch of hate that we didn't really need to have. We really didn't need to have. So you had a man named Nicholas. Uh, Augustin Met Metor, I, don't know, I probably butchered his name, but he's from Louisiana. Louisiana, that's not, that's not up north. Louisiana owned 13 slaves in 1830. 1830, you know, we saw how many free blacks there were in 1830, a heap of them. And he owned 13 slaves. He and his 12 family members collectively owned 215 slaves. So not only him, let's see, they get one section on here says how many slaves did blacks own? It says, so it says, so what, to, what do the actual numbers of black slave owners and their slaves tell us in 1830, the year most carefully studied by Carter G. Woodson, about 13.7% of the black population was free of these 3,776 of free Negroes owned 12,907 slaves out of the total of 2 million slaves owned in the entire United States. It says, so the numbers of slaves owned by black people overall was quite small by comparison with the number owned by white people. 
It says, in his essay, The Known World of Free Black Slaveholders, Thomas J. Presley, using Woodson statistics, calculated that 54 or about 1% of these black slave owners in 1330, I mean, not 13, 1830, owned between 20 and 84 slaves, 172 owned between 10 to 19 slaves, and 3,550 each owned between one and nine slaves. Crucially, 42% owned just one slave. Presley also shows that the percentage of free black slave owners as the total number of free black heads of families was quite high in several states, namely 43% in South Carolina, 40% in Louisiana, 26% in Mississippi, 27, uh, 25% in Alabama, and 20% in Georgia. Now, let's, I'm going to read this to you. Moreover, Woodson explains, benevolent Negroes often purchase slaves to make their lot easier by granting them their freedom for a nominal sum or by permitting them to work it out on liberal terms. In other words, these black slave owners, the clear majority, cleverly use the system of slavery to protect their loved ones. That's the good news. But not all did. And that is the bad news. Uh, a person named Halliburton concludes, after examining the evidence, that it would be a serious mistake to automatically assume that free blacks own their spouse or children only for benevolent purposes. Woodson himself notes that a small number of slaves, however, um, does not always, um, we say a small number of slaves, however, does not always signify uh, benevolence on the part of the owner. So that means that all because they may have owned only a few slaves doesn't mean that they were nice. And John Hope Franklin notes that in North Carolina, without doubt, there were those who possessed slaves for the purpose of advancing their own well-being. These Negro slave owners were more interested in making their farms or carpenter shops pay than they were in treating their slaves humanly or humanely for these black slaveholders. He concludes there was some effort to conform to the pattern established by the dominant slaveholding group within the state in the effort to elevate themselves to a position of respect and privilege. In other words, most black slave owners probably owned family members to protect them, but far too many turned to slavery to exploit the labor of other black people for profit. And he gives some names. He says, John Stanley, born a slave in Craven County, North Carolina, the son of an Igbo mother and her master, John Wright Stanley, became an extraordinary successful barber and speculator in real estate in New, in New Bern. As Lauren, I can't pronounce her last name, so I'm not going to try. As Lauren points out in Black Property Owners in the South, by the early 1820s, Stanley owned three plantations and 163 slaves and even hired three white overseers to manage his property. This is a black man who owned slaves and hired white people in 1830, 1820s. I'm sorry, y'all. It doesn't sound like to me that everybody's being marginalized here. It's not, you know, I mean, it, it's time. I mean, of course, there were, you know, you know, we got some. Well, I'm just saying there were people who were coming up here, you know, so he fathered six children with a slave woman named Kitty, and he eventually freed them. Stanley lost his estate when alone for 14,000. Um, he had co-signed with a white half brother, John, came due. After his brother's stroke, the loan uh, was Stanley's sole responsibility, and he was unable to pay it. I'm going to switch gears here, but, but y'all can check that website out. Check that website out, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's very helpful. It got some good information on there. Please check it out. 
Um, it just I'm just seeing how this narrative is just tearing down. Just it's tearing down, man. So um, truth matters. Truth matters. My prayer is that people would listen to this, remove their uh, preconceived notions and their emotions, move it out of the way. Don't let your emotions get in the way of all this, y'all. Like, don't let it get in the way of the truth. Because that's what we're seeing too much of, is that people don't want to see, don't want to see or hear the truth. They rather continue the narrative of hate and division and all this. People having to divest from whiteness, but then on the same term, you would have to divest from blackness. You know, and, and people don't want to say that because that's that's just, you know, that's not politically correct. That's that's hate speech, you know, like, but it's not hate speech to say people got to vest from whiteness. Come on, man. In the midst of all these flaws, we, we look at all of this in the world that's going on in the past and history and what's going on now. And what do we do? How do we go forward in the midst of all this? The answer is what it's always been. And that is the gospel. Look at everything. I wanted to show you guys about this, this black man who, who was a slave and planted a church in the South. And not only planted a church in the South, but received help from white people. Received help from white people and white people listened to him. They listened to his sermons. They, they listened to him preach. You know, I mean, I wanted to share that with you guys. I wanted to show you them guys with that man. Like, what was this? Author? No, no. Reverend Andrew Bryan. Reverend Andrew Bryan, man. Like, he started a church, received help from white people to start his church. Man, that doesn't sound like everybody was racist to me, man. It doesn't sound like it's, it's everybody just, oh, I hate black people, A, B, and C. They're all just a bunch of, you know, coons, this and that and the third. Like, not here, not everybody. Just like, just like the blacks, where there were some blacks who treated other blacks badly, there are white people who treated blacks black badly. But why? Why were blacks treated unfairly? Why were they treated bad? Was it because of whiteness, or was it because what God has always said? Sin, sin in our hearts. All of us darkened by sin bound to sin and we can do nothing but sin and that's why we need our hearts to be changed but how is that to be through the gospel through the gospel it's realized through christ he's our hope he's the one who can fix it all he's the one who's already fixed it at the cross do we not trust the finished work on the cross that he has indeed begun to make all things new. You know, because we don't see it right now, do we yet lose hope? And what I'm seeing is that people are mostly drawing from the past to bring up a present evil, which is non-existent. The, this idea, this false idea of a white supremacist nation today, yet to be proven yet to be shown you see blacks you see blacks who are in the top one percent of the country how is that if it's based off a white supremacist nation opportunity is there everybody might have the same opportunity but that doesn't mean it's based off racism 
and I said this before in another in another stream dealing with uh, Eric Bateson's book. Everybody don't want may not get the same loan. Have the opportunity to get the same loan, and everybody may not make the same wage, but that's okay. But that's not evil. That's not wicked. That's not belittling people. I think what we do is we get our focus off of Christ. And the sad thing is that the people who are proponents for the woke ideology are saying that they are the ones who's focusing most on Christ. But when they start talking about what's going on, you don't hear them mention sin. You don't hear them mention Christ and his judgment. None of that. What you hear is white man did this. White people did that. Whiteness, whiteness, whiteness. They don't call it what it is, which is sin. And the reason why is because if they was to call it sin, then they know that this doesn't just, this doesn't just go for white people. That if they call it sin, then that would go for black people. That'll go for Latinos. That would, that would go for everybody. You know, so that's the reality of it, y'all. You know, and then we're going to need, we need to continue to challenge that with the truth. The gospel is key. What is, what is wrong with the world? Sin. How is what's wrong with the world going to be made right? Through Christ, through Christ, the proclamation of the gospel message. And by God's grace, that he will save those who are his and bring them to himself. By his grace, having mercy on all of us. What do we do? God is sovereign. He's sovereign, y'all. None of this happened by happenstance. I mean, God allowed the blacks to be free, plant churches to convert other whites and Europeans to have a heart to leave slavery alone who were for slavery at one point. Now their hearts have changed and they are against it. Like God was sovereign in all of that, you know, in all of it. He wasn't taken by surprise in any of it. So the main one that they should be blaming is God because he's the one who allowed it. He's the one who gave parameters for it to Israel. So, but they don't want to blame. They're not going to blame God. It's easier to blame the white man and cast the blame on someone else because we're not going to uh, cast the blame on God because our arms are too short to box them. So anyway, with that being said, I'm, I'm hoping this was helpful to you guys. I'm hoping that you've learned something. This sure did help me. If you want to contact me, you can do so at the number that you see on the screen, 801-980-6333. You can um, email me at prescribed.truth at gmail.com. I greatly appreciate your prayers. Remember, in a world full of errors, the only thing that the doctor has always prescribed is truth.